very good. And I thought about singing for the offertory, but I was afraid y'all would leave. Uh, no, just joking. Uh, but it is good to have a combined Sunday school this morning. And Brother Edwards, and uh, we've known each other for a long time. And uh, I want you to be familiar with him and his ministry. And I've asked him to give a little testimony in the Sunday school hour. And then he's going to deal with the subjects of the home in Sunday school. And then start our kind of our revival preaching uh, this morning in the morning service. So we're thankful for that. And I ask him to come at this time to share some things on his heart. Thank you, Pastor. Good morning. You all look pretty in this beautiful room. Did you know that? We all smile. That's the first time anybody's ever called you pretty. So, <laughs> amen. Uh, it is so good to be here. Thank you for the privilege of being here, preacher. And uh, we, had a, we had a great time. Now, three hours of me speaking. I love my preaching. I don't assume anybody else does. But uh, they sure were attentive, and we had a good time. I know there was a lot of food to eat, and, and that's always enjoyable for me. Can you tell? My mother and daddy were from Kentucky, and uh, back in the 40s and 50s, there was no work. And so they moved to Cincinnati, and boy, I blessed their life. I was born in Cincinnati, Ohio, and uh, mother and dad were not saved. I wasn't raised in a Christian home. But they got saved in their 60s. When they were 60, I think dad was 63 and mother was 60. And a soul winner went by the door and uh, led my father to the Lord. And then mother got saved. And boy, I tell you, their boys were not raised in a Christian home, but mother got a dose. And so she really went after us. And uh, eventually she, uh, well, I'll tell the whole story. I'll give you my salvation testimony. Uh, Mother was, like I said, from Kentucky, so she pretty much lived life how she thought it ought to be lived, and, and uh, she did what she wanted to do. She told me, son, if you want the blackberry cobbler that I loved, I left the dish where Dad and I go to church. It's at church. If you'll stop and pick it up, you go right past there, stop and pick it up, bring it to the house, and I'll make that for you. Well, you can tell I'm, I'm going to do that. I'm going to stop and get that dish, even if, if it's at a church. What she didn't tell me was that she had arranged for the dish to be with the custodian of the church, who was a powerful soul winner, who, when I picked that dish up, cornered me between a water fountain and a wall, and I couldn't get out. And for 45 minutes, he told me I was a sinner that needed to be saved, told me about the Lord Jesus Christ, and you know, brought my parents' salvation into it and so on. I didn't get saved standing there, but I, I went home and uh, thought, well, I can get home. The, my wife will be there. The baby will be there. I'll play with the baby. I was under conviction. I just wanted rid of that feeling. If you've ever been under conviction, it's not a comfortable feeling. And uh, when I got home, they were not there. They were out and, and uh, still under conviction. My mother had given us, we didn't have a Bible in our home, my mother had given us just a little award Bible, uh, didn't have any red letters, didn't have any maps, didn't have any notes, it just had the Bible. But she had taken a red ink pen and a ruler and gone to Romans chapter 10, and she had underlined Romans 9, 10, 9 and 10 and verse 13, and uh, took that Bible down, and I thought, man, I don't, I don't know anything about this, I don't know where to start with this, and I promise you that day it opened to Romans chapter 10. And I saw where she had underlined those, uh, those verses. And I came to verse 13 and said, Whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. 
And uh, I, I prayed one of the most theologically correct prayers you've ever heard. It went something like this. Lord, if you can save somebody like me, I'm calling on you now. Will you save me? And he did. And uh, boy, my life changed that day. That was February of 1975. My wife got saved. And uh, a few months later, God called me to preach. And we've been on a journey since then. And I'll tell you, the old song says, um, every day is sweeter, and it really is uh, sweeter each day as you serve the Lord. So we've been at it a long time now. Uh, was a youth, went to Bible college, a youth pastor for a while in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. And uh, that, was, that was a wonderful place and wonderful people. But uh, after four years there, God led us to Woodbridge, Virginia. If you don't know where Woodbridge is, it's 22 miles south of the Washington Monument, so it's just part of the big D.C. metro area. And uh, we moved there and planted a church, started in a public high school, and we were there for 37, a little over 37 years. And God led us then uh, out of pastoring and uh, into a ministry of just sharing and encouraging. So for about two and a half years, three years now, we've been on the road and uh, traveling and trying to preach in places, be an encouragement to people, and share the Lord Jesus Christ. But we moved to Charlotte. I didn't think, I, I, I just thought the Lord would have us to do that. My son, one of my sons, started a church there about 17 years ago, and so he is now my pastor. And it's hard to do what you, your son tells you to do, but he's my spiritual authority, and i got to obey him, you know. Uh, but we're, we're enjoying life there. My wife is not with me today because she has three granddaughters that were on spring break and who made the decision not to go home but to go to grandma's house. And I learned several years ago that when it comes to grandchildren and me, I am not number one choice, all right? I am way down the list when it comes to that with her. Uh, but God is certainly blessing our ministry, privileged to be here. I'm going to speak on the home for a few minutes today, and I think, I think Preacher said it just right. I don't think I'll tell you anything you don't know, but I do think that from time to time we need points of emphasis. We need to be reminded of some things. That's why I think revivals are so important. I think meetings in the church are so important. I think it marks a, a week in a year or a time in a year where we're just going to let the Lord speak to us. We may know those things, but we're going to let the Lord remind us, and we're going to let the Lord challenge us, maybe cause us to examine our own lives and see where we are uh, with what He wants us to do and what He wants us to be. I said to the folks yesterday, and I'll say again, one of the most dangerous places a Christian can get in his life is when he thinks he's grown enough. He's changed enough. He's done enough. And the Apostle Paul said to us, even uh, in the late stages of his life, after uh, ministry that God greatly blessed and soon facing martyrdom for his stand for Jesus Christ, he made this statement, I have not yet apprehended uh, that for which I was apprehended. In other words, he had not yet come to the place where he had grown uh, in Christ to where Christ wanted him to be. And so he said, I, I pursue. He said, I, I go after it. I, I press forward 
trying to attain that mark. So every day, regardless of our age, regardless of the stage of our life, there is something we can learn. There is something we can improve on. There is some way we can become more Christ-like. So if that's our thought process, then any kind of preaching from the Word of God can be a help and encouragement to us. And I hope that will be your perspective today. Take your Bible, if you wouldn't, turn with me to Ephesians chapter 5. Ephesians chapter 5. And uh, I don't know that I'll get all through this message, but I'll, I'll get through to where I get, all right? And uh, we'll take what the Lord has for us today. And here's, here's what I want to speak about for a few moments this morning. The right kind of home. The right kind of home. Well, why would you title a message like that? The right kind of home. Well, because our world doesn't even know if they're a man or a woman. Our world doesn't even know who's supposed to marry who. Our world doesn't even know what a home is. As a matter of fact, our world is working real hard to destroy the nuclear family. They're trying to get rid of this concept of family and of home. And I think it's real attendant then upon believers like you and I to say, hey world, we want you to know we're going the other direction. We're not trying to get rid of the home. We're trying to build the home exactly as the one who created the home told us to build the home. So when I say the right kind of home, I didn't go to the bookstore and buy some Christian book. I didn't go and, and get some tapes from a psychologist or a psychiatrist. I opened the Bible because the home was God's idea and the marriage was God's idea so if it was God's idea, he ought to know what he had in mind. Amen? So as we go through these verses, all we want to see is what does God say the home ought to be? Now, let's begin reading in Ephesians 5 and verse 15. And what you're going to say to me is, well, if you're going to talk about the home, that ain't got nothing to do with the home. Look at verse 15. See then that you walk circumspectly, not as fools, but as wise. Redeeming the time because the days are evil. Wherefore, be ye not unwise, but understanding what the will of the Lord is. And be not drunk with wine wherein is excess, but be filled with the Spirit, speaking to yourselves in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody in your heart to the Lord, giving thanks always for all things unto God and the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting yourselves one to another in the fear of God. Now, I don't know if you noticed it or not, but from verse 17 to verse 21, it was one sentence. Now, when I go back to my school days, can I just make an, I just want to make a statement. I did not excel in English, all right? Can I just make another statement? I didn't excel in anything. But the one thing I remember that English teacher taught me was, is that a sentence expresses a complete thought. And so if the Holy Spirit is inspiring Paul to write this, and Paul begins in verse 18 with a sentence and doesn't finish that thought till verse 21, 
then there is one thought that he's trying to get to us. Well, preacher, what is your point? Well, sometimes when we come to the book of Ephesians, we read verse 15 through 18 through verse 20 as if, well, that's one sermon topic. And then in verse 21, we start another, or 22, we start another sermon topic because verse 22, let's face it, that's everybody's favorite verse in the Bible, isn't it? Wives, submit yourself. Oh, okay, maybe I, maybe I missed that. I, I don't know. Here's my point. The Lord is telling us some, some very important truths about how important it is to be circumspect, to be serious, to be timely about raising our family and about how our homes ought to look and what they ought to be like. And in these passages, he gives us what a Christian home ought to look like. And number one, he says it ought to be a place of spirituality. It ought to be a place of spirituality. He says in verse 18, Be not drunk with wine wherein is excess, but be filled with the Spirit. Verse 19 speaking to yourselves in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. And he doesn't finish that thought till he introduces the thought on submission. Now, what are you saying, preacher? I'm saying that we know it, but no Christian ought to home ought to be a place that's controlled by a spirit of worldliness or intoxicating spirits of the world. I'm pretty old-fashioned. I believe that believers ought not to drink alcohol. And I believe that those things should not be in our home as well. But you know what? It's not enough to say that the spirits of the world should not be in our home. I think we've also got to say the spirit of the world should not be in our home. It's, it's one thing to come into an auditorium like this and say, hey, there ought not to be any liquor in your, your cabinet. And there ought not to be uh, any drugs that are not prescribed uh, for, for a condition in your home. But I'm going to take a step further. There ought not to be any materialism in your home. There ought not to be consumerism in our homes. It's not just the spirits of the world. It's the spirit of the world. Instead, what ought to mark our home is places where uh, their spiritual life, where there are psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. I don't want to get to meddling too much, but I'm going to say this. Anywhere that the spirit of Hollywood reigns, the Holy Spirit's not going to reign. And I just think it's attendant upon heads of the house and parents in the house to say, you know what, we're, we're, we've got to be circumspect. We've got to redeem the time. And, and we're going to make some decisions in our home that we're going to have the right kind of spirit in our home. And, and it's one thing to make the decision. It's another thing to follow through. But here's a wild statement that's going to shock you. I think parents ought to determine what their kids watch and listen to. I think dads ought to determine what the spirit of that home is because I assure you, my friend, when you stand before the Lord, God's going to ask you, why did you let that in your home? Things have changed in our culture. 
And without knowing it or without saying it, sometimes believers drift along behind the culture. We never, we never do it first. We never go there first, but we just kind of drift along behind the culture. I can remember, I'm old enough, and if I'm preaching like an old man and if I'm meddling, well, I'm going to do it. <laughs> I, I can remember preaching against even having a TV in your house. Now, I have a television. Don't, don't hear me saying that. But I am saying to you that we have gone from where there wasn't, there was always wrong stuff on TV. We've, we've gone to where it's just wicked. We've, we've gone to where homosexual marriage is presented as a right way, a viable way. We've, we've gone to where the dad of the home is the most ignorant human being on the planet. And he has to be helped by his 10-year-old kid to understand life. And, and you know what? Our kids watch sitcoms, and, and sometimes we watch sitcoms that glorify extramarital sex, that glorify living together outside of marriage. And here's all I'm saying, and I'll get off of it. If the spirit of Hollywood is going to reign in your home, the Holy Spirit is not going to reign in your home. And when we come to the word of God, God says what ought to mark our homes is speaking to ourselves in psalms, singing hymns, singing spiritual songs, singing and making melody in your heart to the Lord. No, preacher, that's, that's why he's talking about the church there. He's not talking about the home. Well, then why does he introduce wives submit yourselves unto your own husbands as unto the Lord in the same thought? Does that mean wives are only to be submissive to their husbands in the church? No. And so what I'm saying is this. Hey, I don't want to come into a church where Hollywood reigns. I don't want to come into the church where the spirits of the world are exalted, but by the same token, I don't want to live in that either. And so the spirit of God, spiritual songs, Bible reading ought to reign in our home. Here's what he says. Secondly, the right kind of home is not only a spiritual home, it's a, it's a place of order. It's a, it's a home, it's a place that has order. Look at verse 21 again. Submitting yourselves one to another in the fear of God. Now he introduces submission. Wives, submit yourselves unto your own husbands as unto the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, and he is the Savior of the body. Therefore, as the church is subject unto Christ, so let the wives be to their own husbands. Now, right away, every lady in the room wants to get an umbrella out because they believe that I'm going to rain down on them about being submissive to their husband. And you're right. I'm, no, you're not right. A home that is a right kind of home understands that submission is essential, but get this, it doesn't start with ladies. 
There's actually four kinds of submission that are essential for an orderly Christian home. And can I tell you where it starts? It starts when a man, the head of the home, is submission to his head, God Almighty. Hey, don't tell me that you've got a rebellious wife when your life evidences rebellion against God the Father. You say, well, I go to church. Well, I know, but do you rebel in your finances? Are you where you need to be with God in what you give and how you allocate your finances? Are you where you need to be in respect for authority? You say, well, I'm the head of my home. I know, but you've got spiritual authority. Are you right with God in how you respect your spiritual authority? Are you right with God in how you expect, respect your uh, employer? Well, that's a different thing. No, you want it to be a different thing. I'm just saying, I've met men all my life and all my ministry who complain that their kids are rebellious and their wife won't do what they ask them to do and I start interviewing them for five minutes and they are so rebellious against God and authority in their life, it's pathetic. And yet they expect when they themselves are in rebellion, they expect everything underneath them to line up and be exactly what it's supposed to be. It won't. It will reflect you, sir. And if you walk with God and you live in submission to God and you respect God and you respect spiritual authority and you respect civil authority and you live your life in submission to the authority over you, then you will have the chance to see an orderly home underneath you in your life. So it starts with you. And then, yes, absolutely, it moves to a wife's submission to her husband. Now, I wish you could have been here yesterday if you weren't because I want you to understand what I'm saying. When I say that the man is the head of the home, I don't mean that that means all he does is sit with the remote and everybody in the home serves him. I'd like for it to mean that, but that's not what it means. The model of leadership in the Bible is not master-servant, it is servant-leadership. And when the Bible, sir, calls you the head of the home, what it means is you're the big servant at the house. That you live your life for the sake of others. And then it comes to that lady and it says, listen, you are to, as unto the Lord, you're to live your life in submission to your own husband. Why? Because there has to be order and there are times and occasions where a decision has to be made and somebody has to be responsible for that decision and God, God, God in his economy says, that's his responsibility. And so a woman who loves the Lord and loves her family says, hey, listen, I'll submit myself. I'll follow you. I'll, I'll, I'll support you in the decision that you make. Can I remind you of a time when Jesus in the garden, hey, you do remember that Jesus is God, right? 
And you do remember that Jesus is as much God as God the Father, as much God as the Holy Spirit. Jesus is God. And yet in the garden, Jesus said, not my will but thine be done. And he voluntarily submitted himself to the will of the heavenly Father. And, and remember what we say about that? Boy, that really devalued Jesus, didn't it? No, we don't say that. It exalted Jesus. Because it allowed the plan of redemption to be complete. You are not devalued because you submit yourself to your husband and allow him to lead. You're exalted in the eyes of Almighty God, because you as unto the Lord are willing to play that role. Hey, that's not the only kind of submission. There's also children must submit to their parents. Children, obey your parents and the Lord. This is right. I won't take long on this. I wish I had four hours. <laughs> to the young people in this room... Can I, can I remind you of something? Nobody on planet Earth loves you more than your parents. As a matter of fact, the rest of us don't even like you. <laughs> Not true. Nobody loves you like your mom and dad. Now, here's number two. They know more than you. That's just a fact, isn't it? It's just a fact that they've been through more. They've seen more. They've seen the result of what that kind of thinking does. And so here's two people that love you more than anybody on earth who know more than you do about life and who have your best interest at heart and they come alongside to you because God has put them over you and they say, this is how I want you to live. It's not to hurt you. It's not to make you be miserable. It's to give you the opportunity to have a scar-free life. Submit to your parents. Can I remind you of this also? Most likely you will be one someday and be not deceived. God is not mocked. For whatsoever a man soweth, that shall he also reap. You sow honor and obedience and submission to your parents now, you'll reap that when you is one. That ain't good English, but it sure is good preaching. Hey, let me give you a fourth kind of submission in the Bible. It's right there in verse 21. Submit yourselves one to another in the fear of God. Did you know that there are times that I submit myself to my wife. You know why? Because she's really a smart lady who really sees things I don't see and I'd be really dumb to know she's right and not agree with her. God put her in my life on purpose. We are totally different human beings. We have never looked at the situation and seen it exactly the same. Now, I don't mean 
We see biblically the same, but I'm just telling you, we come at life different. I, I have learned this, that she sees things I don't. And sometimes I've got to set my pride aside and I've got to set my maleness aside and just say, honey, it, it pains me to say it, but you're right. And leave that first part out. You're right. And we're going to do it your way. You know what that is? That's real leadership. That's real headship. That's real spiritual leadership. When you see and you're willing to be submissive because your spouse sees it right. And so God wants our homes to be places of order. Here's one more. Let me give it to you quickly. God wants our homes to be a place of sacrifice. Look at verse 25. Husbands, love your wives even as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for it that he might sanctify and cleanse it with the washing of water by the word, that he might present it to himself a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that it should be holy and without blemish. Hey, the right kind of home is where the needs of others are put before our own. And that's everybody. <clears throat> In Isaiah 53 and verse 6, it says this, it says our problem is that we have turned everyone to his own way. Do you know that the problem we have as an individual, the reason we needed the Savior, is the same problem that we have in our homes? Is that by nature we tend to be selfish beings and we want our way, we want life how we want life? When the right kind of home is a place where a husband will sacrifice himself for his wife and his children. A wife is willing to sacrifice. Children are taught that the world does not revolve around them, that there's got to be a willingness to sacrifice in them. God loves a sacrificial spirit. You say, how do you know that, preacher? Well, because he gave his own son. And because his son gave his own life. And the truth is, God loves people who will take themselves off center point of priority and move themselves over here and move somebody else in their place and say, I will live so that you are fulfilled. I will live so that you have what you need. I will live so that you can be what God wants you to be. God loves that. That's exactly what he did. Now, I think that's a little more natural for women than it is for men. I think when a woman bears that child in her womb for nine months, it, it just becomes uh, <coughs> everything in her life. I think they are more given in their heart to live for their husband. And, uh, and so men, I say to us, especially, God loves sacrificial living and sacrificial giving. My favorite fairy tale. You say, preacher, this is a church. You don't tell fairy tales. Don't get in the middle of my message. I'm going to tell a fairy tale. My favorite fairy tale is one called The Gift of the Magi. You ever heard that, that story? And in The Gift of the Magi, there's this young couple that gets married. <clears throat> and they are poor as church mice. They have nothing. They each have one treasured possession. <clears throat> he has a gold pocket watch 
that was given to him by his grandfather, and it is the most treasured thing he owns. He doesn't have a, a gold chain, you know, back in those days, they'd wear them in their vest, but he's got the, he's got the pocket watch. His wife has beautiful, long, flowing auburn hair. And it is what he saw first. He just loved her hair. Well, Christmas time is approaching, their first Christmas. And they're so poor, they can't get anything for each other for Christmas. But they love each other. Don't you love that? And so, without saying anything to the other, they make a decision. And that man goes out and sells his pocket watch so that he can buy gold combs for his wife's hair. And she, without telling him, goes out and gets her hair cut when it was popular. You could sell your hair and you'd get money for it and they'd make wigs out. I guess they still do. I wouldn't know. But I guess they still do that. But she went out and bought a gold chain for his pocket watch. Now, the part of this story I ain't never figured out is how she hid that from him until Christmas morning. But on Christmas morning, they come out to each other, and she, he presents to her those gold combs, and I guess she takes that scarf off her hair, head, and there's no hair for them combs. And she presents to him that gold chain for his pocket watch. And he reaches in and shows her there is no pocket watch. Now, you know what happened? It was the worst Christmas ever. They divorced after that. That's not what happened. It was the sweetest, most precious Christmas they'd ever experienced. Why? Because each had sacrificed for the other. And that's not a godly biblical story. But man, that's a wonderful illustration of just moving yourself off of center spot. And letting somebody else in your mind and heart occupy that space of, I want to live for them. I want to give my life so that they're fulfilled. You know what? <clears throat> that ought to mark every home. It ought to be the spirit of every husband, father. It ought to be the spirit of every wife, mother. And you know what? It, it ought to be the spirit of every teenager, every child in that home. You do well to teach your children that. Well, I, I'm going to take two minutes. I'll do one more. It should be a place of respect. A place, a place of respect. I'm going to skip one. Go to verse 32. And with this I'll end. This is a great mystery, but I speak concerning Christ and the church. Nevertheless, let every one of you in particular so love his wife, even as himself, and the wife see that she reverence her husband. You know, the right kind of home will be a place where the husband loves and respects his wife as his own flesh, and where the wife reverences her husband. You know, wives... You know wives have dreams for their life like husbands do? And yet wives fold their lives into our lives and, and are so willing to follow and so willing to submit and so willing to support. And my friend, <clears throat> though the wife is told to reverence and you are told to love, every husband in this room ought to respect his wife. I mean respect her. We're told to honor them. 
And if you knew how difficult it was to live with you, you would respect them for what they pour into your life to make your life good. Let me show you this. I love this. And every wife see that she reference her husband. That's the word in Greek, phobia. It, the f- f- fearsome. It, it, you know what it means, literally? It means that you ought to view your husband as awesome. Awesome. When you look at him, is that what occurs to you? He's awesome. My wife does something for me. She, she loves shopping. She, she loves shopping. I don't get it. But every once in a while, I'll go shopping with her. And we'll be at a mall, and, and I'll be begging to go to a bench and get a cup of coffee, but she'll insist I walk with her. And, and every once in a while, she'll just slip her arm in my arm as we're walking down the mall. And the most amazing transformation takes place. My stomach goes back up to my chest. Because it's like I'm walking, oh, woman, woman. You know, it's like, I, like I'm a caveman. She gives me that. I'm not awesome. But she gives me that. And I give her respect. I honor her opinions. I honor her words. I honor what she does in our lives. And and one of the things that I think we need to practice in our homes is that sense of respect and honor, reverence for each other, and see what God does with that. The home's home's a wonderful thing that God gave us. And what we want to do is be very careful to build it and live in it just like God said.